Hey, I'm Kevin. Hey, I'm Johnny Yee. Tune into our radio show, Philly Rock Live. We play the classic hard rock and metal from the 70s and 80s. We grew up on. We play the new music those same bands are making today. And we play new music from around the world. Not to mention the great bands from our own local scene. You will not hear a mix of music like this anywhere else. If it kicks ass, we, we play, play it. Philly Rock Live. Thursday, 7 to 9 p.m. Philly time. On phillyrockradio.com. Listen online with your mobile device or even your smart speaker. And now, and now, it's time for another edition of the Sports and Metal Podcast. We talk hard-hitting sports and bone-crunching metal. Sports and Metal, because sports and metal go better together. Now here's your host, Jason Voorhees, and Aaron Savage. Oh yeah! Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Sports and Metal Podcast. As always, we are your host. This is Aaron Savage. With me, as always, my partner in crime, Mr. Jason Voorhees. We have a very special show tonight, a very special guest. But before we get started, want to give a shout out to our sponsors. First and foremost, our oldest sponsor, La Terrain Watches. Make sure you visit their website, www.laterrain.com. That's www.la-tourain.com. You're going to want to use our promo code SNM. That's the letters SNM as in sports and metal. And you're going to save 10% off your purchase at checkout. Make sure you tell them sports and metal sent you. And not to be remiss and forget our other sponsor, BetUS. I know football season is over, but we still have other sports going on. MLB's spring trainings here. So make sure you visit their site. Use our affiliate link. You can see it right below me here bit.ly forward slash sports and metal you're going to get 125 percent bonus on your first 100 deposit um so that being said without further ado how are you jay doing great man awesome Super i'm really excited for tonight's show <laughs> <laughs> we spoke right right on to right on cue there uh yeah I've, I've been wanting to get these guys on for a long time and uh you know we're blessed to have jim with us tonight and uh super excited to you know, do this interview and get his perspective on the band and what's going on in the world of metal. Yeah, before we bring him out, let me give everybody a little bit of a background. Um, Jim Luvo is the front man of the industrial metal band, There Is No Us. Um, they're described as a hypercharged hybrid of hypnotic metal and gnashing industrial. Um, they immediately make their intentions clear. As Jim says, our goal is to stomp your face in. Um, pun, pun, pummeling riffs, menacing electronics, venomous lyrical vitriol, and a dystopic vision. This Phoenix, Arizona qu quartet will kick your ass. Without further ado, let's bring him out, Mr. Jim Louveau. Where am I? There we there are. You are. How are you, Jim? Good. How are you? Good. We're happy to have you on the show, man. Yeah, I'm stoked to be here. Yeah, I, I don't know where to start because you're kind of like a jack of all trades. I mean, your photography <laughs> is, I mean, you've worked with everybody in metal. So I don't know where you want to start. Do you, you know, you have the new single coming out with your project, There Is No Us, Fame Whore, the new album. Why don't we start there? Um, you guys have released two EPs, one in 2015, one in 2018. What should the fans expect? Is this going to be another EP? Is this going to be a full-length album? What's going on? 
Um, I believe that technically it's going to be a full record. I think that we've been swayed into um, putting a full, when you say EP, an EP can technically be like four songs, sure. but um, you can put a record out that has like eight or nine songs. And we we have no shortage of, of songs. So it was really like when, when we finished recording these initial batch of songs and um, have them mixed and mastered, uh, we kind of didn't stop writing. Um, and, you know, it's just like when, when, when you're feeling good about, about, you know, writing, you, you want to do as much of it as possible. And, uh, Andy, our guitar player, um, he can write songs in his sleep. So when, when he's, uh, when he's filling up to it, um, he can bust out some, some songs pretty quickly. And, uh, and we, we work very quickly as a band too. Cool. Now you and Andy are longtime friends going back to childhood. Am I correct? Yes. Me, Jared, um, our other guitar player and Andy and I have been friends since we were in high school. So it's, uh, it's pretty wild that, you know, we, when we've been in bands, um, together off and on for, you know, the past 25 years or something. So it's cool that, you know, we're still playing music together. And I mean, these guys are all my best friends. So, um, we, we, we pretty much have a good idea what, what you're going to get from, from the other one. That's awesome. Why don't you give us a little bit of a background? How did, how did the band come to be? Well, I think initially um, I was working with another band that was basically at the end of its road. And uh, a lot of the stuff I was doing in that band at the time wasn't necessarily anything close to as heavy as what we do in There Is No Us. But I had started doing some screaming and uh, sent Andy a couple songs and he was like, hey, man. Like you want to do something heavy, and I said, "Sure, let's get together, and just have fun." Like there was no real intention in starting a band; uh, it was just more like a couple of friends, you know, get together and seeing what happens. And that's always the best way to uh, to really go about much of anything artistic related. From from what I I find, like it kind of takes a lot of the pressure away, and um, you know, it's just when when you've been working together at any capacity, you know somebody really well for that that long, it makes it really easy and exciting to uh, to go down new avenues together. And that's exactly how There Is No Us started was, you know, just, hey, let's get in a room and, and uh, make the heaviest music we've ever made before and see what happens. That's also yeah. Now, you guys are hugely influenced by bands like Nine Inch Nails, Ministry. Tell us a little about your influences and I mean, Nine Inch Nails is, you know, by far our, our biggest influence. Um, you know, Ministry, um, Old School Marilyn Manson, and just 16 Volt, and like some of the more obscure, you know, industrial bands that were around when we first started and, and bands that were, were doing, you know, electronically heavy music um, way before we even knew how to do it. Uh, but that was something that was exciting and new to us because we – we all pretty much came from like Guns N' Roses and Metallica. Like those, those were the bands we grew up with. And, you know, you got tons of guitar solos and um, these, a lot of these epic, crazy songs. Um, so throwing, throwing something like in Nine Inch Nails into the mix where there is keyboards and, and distorted, you know, vocals and just chaos. That was something that really struck a chord with all of us. Sure. And, uh, and really had a, a, a crazy impact um, 
specifically probably on Andy and I the most. We we loved the uh, you know that all the stuff that happened between like 1990 probably probably 1990 to probably 1996 was very important for us um, as we were kind of digging our toes in, into this music that was new to us. Yeah, absolutely. So, so obviously, you know, you're talking about your influences, you know, obviously Nine Inch Nails, Marilyn Manson. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, your guitarist, he, he played for Marilyn Manson, right? And yeah, right? Andy. Andy played bass uh, for for um, the high end of low tour, um, which goodness I can't believe it. it's been more than than ten years now. Um, but yeah, that was that was a pretty wild thing too. Growing up with that music and then um, being being in that band for you know the the eight or ten months that that he was touring with them, and I remember seeing him on stage for the first time, and I was like shooting shooting the show. And us kind of looking down at each other, laughing, like, how did this happen? Like, this is this is, real oh, life? <laughs> yeah, it's bizarre. I I mean, I yeah, I, I would be awestruck because, like, obviously, it's like, that's your influence. And there you are, like, both, you, you know, you're shooting it and he's he's uh, playing in it now. I, I, and that's that's a really cool thing to get to do from both perspectives, too. Um, you know, for us to like if I wasn't a photographer, like I would have just been someone in the crowd kind of, you know, cheering them on. But the fact that we got to do that together and, uh, and, and have that experience was really cool. Yeah, I find it amazing. And I, I want to get into your photography a lot before cool. I do though, let's give credit where it's due. You also had a cool experience. You don't, I don't know if it's still active, but you have a side project with uh, Richard Patrick, if I'm correct. Yes. In fact, that record hasn't come out yet and it's also okay. done. So, um, I can't talk too much about it at the moment. We can definitely come back to the show when, when, when stuff starts happening sure. with it, but it is done and it is coming out. Um, there'll be songs that are coming out this year. I don't know if the full EP or whatever that is going to turn into is coming out this year, but there are, there are songs that will be released, um, in the coming months and probably some shows. And, uh, right now that's, about all I know with that project. Um, and I'm so in there is no us mode right now that uh, it's going to be cool to go from, from one thing to the other though. Like I, yeah, you're a busy man. And the, just so the fans know the project is called a place to kill. Yes. Yep. So, yeah. Kill. I'm looking forward to that. Um, so your beginnings with there, there is no us. Like, obviously I told you, you know, before we even came on that, obviously I got hooked on that very first album, farewell to humanity. One of the like cool things that I realized about that album is a, the lyrics are super deep. The message that you guys are trying to get across, like the, the topics that you guys, that the songs kind of bring out are just all real world issues. And, you know, you guys use a lot of voiceovers and, and kind of spoken word imagery in, in, in your music. You guys do a phenomenal job at like mixing that. Like, how did you guys like kind of come up with that concept and be like, it's just amazing that I can see like a lot of these lyrics, like it's just like deep, like obviously I don't know if it's like personal stuff that you've dealt with, you know, you and the band members, but like, it's just an amazing, like when I listen to that record, it's just every single song hits me like really deep. 
Well, the the like the dialogue samples are what you're kind of referring to. Yeah. And um so being from Phoenix and growing up, like around the time we were all in high school, there was a, a local band in Phoenix called N17 who were also very heavily influenced by like ministry and, and, and skinny puppy and and sort of that electronic element of of rock and industrial. And they used a lot of really cool and samples, but they were placing them in in really I don't know, like really great places in the songs. So in, instead of it being a distraction, those those dialogue samples and those noises became very important to to the song and the structure and the and the messaging. And uh, you know, ministry is probably best known, I would say, for the dialogue samples. Like if you go listen to like Psalm sixty nine or or any of that older stuff, like they really use those effectively to get the messages across in the songs. And in the beginning, that was something that we were, we were trying to do the same sort of thing. And I think over time we have taken them out a little bit just because like, we're always trying to evolve the band and the sound too. We still do have dialogue samples and some of the new stuff too, but that was something in the beginning that we were taking um, from bands like in 17 and ministry for sure. Yeah, I think that's kind of where Jay's point was headed. I, it's it's not just the use of the samples; it's how they're implemented into the track. It's it's a, it's seamless. It becomes part of the of the journey that you take when listening to the album. You know, e each each song is like a chapter. Yeah, and uh, and 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 Jason, to sort of talk about the lyrical content, like when we first started the band, like the world wasn't quite as terrible as it's become. But it's almost like we saw it coming. Yeah. You know, Got it. And, and it was really it was really crazy to put these songs together and then see basically like what felt like the collapse of mankind and humanity. Um, it's it's just been a bizarre, you know, few years. But yeah, we were we were on on that tip before it quite, you know, went in that direction. So, yeah, it's wild. Yeah, I mean, it's really your your music is literally like a soundtrack to the last six seven years, literally. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing too is like I feel like, um, it, like people are so beaten down by politics and choosing sides and 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 really feeling like they're pitted against each other based on like their beliefs or like their lifestyle or whatever. Um, it's it was really wild to sort of see how things played out and it's so easy to take you know influence and 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 be inspired by all of of this really negative um you know sort of just vibes that the world's had for quite a while yeah absolutely now now before we get into anything else i i want to ask while we're on the subject for anyone that might not be familiar with me with your music how would you, you've heard us describe the music? How would you describe it? Like if you wanted to describe somebody that hasn't heard it, what, what would they expect? Uh, I would say that it's very in your face, aggressive, but yet memorable. And I don't think that your mom would like it. But, <laughs> but that's great, right? Yeah. But, you know, if you're a 15 year old pissed off young man or young lady who uh, who's who's looking for sort of an outlet to uh to feel like you belong to something that um isn't maybe what you know your 
classmates are into or like the other kids like this music is for people who are outcasts as well and um i think that really like having having messages and and really making things feel like we're all in this kind of giant am i allowed to curse on this thing of course you can okay <laughs> we're, in, we're, we're in the shit together and uh and we're just the mouthpiece for it absolutely absolutely now i now i have to ask you you, you guys grew up in the phoenix area right mm -hmm. i have to ask have right. you ever just in the neighborhood just bumped into rob halford no it's funny i rob halford is someone who i might be doing something with in the next few months but he is one of the last of the phoenix guys that i either don't know or haven't worked with yet so um it's coming from what i what i'm being told there, there's something coming down the pipeline awesome awesome and on that note let's get into that a little bit you've worked um in the photography end, end of the business and in the production end of the business with everybody who's who of, of musicians in the rock and metal world why don't you tell us a little bit about that were when when did this when was photography prior to music what what came first the photography or the music so the, and what's the, kinda, the true love <laughs> or is it well both? they they to me they 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 go hand in hand sure um when i was little it was it'd be like having to go to the grocery store with like your parents or your grandparents and and uh you know that was a pretty miserable experience for for most kids who are you know i got started pretty it was like i'm five years old and uh when I went to the store, I was like, I'll go and I'll be good if you let me have a rock magazine and I'll just go. I, to the I was magazine. just, I don't want to cut you off, but I have to just really quick. I was literally going to say, I used to love going to the store with my mom for two reasons. One is I would just disappear into the magazine aisle and I would meet, read like Metal Edge. You yeah, know, I'm, 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 I'm like late 80s, early 90s was when I was really molded by my music. It was like Metal Edge, Hit Parader, Circus. Oh, yeah. Those were all the ones that, that yeah. we're talking about. And That's then like a hot dog from the hot dog cart on the way out. Yeah. <laughs> so I can but relate long, to that experience. Yeah. As long as I could get a copy of Hit Parader or Metal Edge. Yeah. Um, I was Rick, good. You know, I was good. So, I'd stand in that aisle the whole time. <laughs> yeah. So like they would go shopping. It could be like 45 minutes and I'm just going through every magazine yep. and then deciding which one I wanted. And then, you know seeing the photos in the magazines i always thought like wow like what a what a cool thing for the photographers to and, and at that time i assumed that everybody who was working with these bands kind of became friends with them because when you're five or ten you don't know that sometimes this is a real quick that sometimes this is a five minute photo shoot sure sure and uh it's hard to make friends in five minutes <laughs> so i would basically i was surrounded by music um my whole life basically like my mother my mother was very young when she had me and i think that music was like an escape for all of us because that was something that everyone enjoyed and essentially it was either cheap or free to listen to the radio and you know i just i saw an opportunity as as a young person to uh to be involved or wanting to be involved in as many facets of rock and metal as, as i could so that's kind of how it started and over time 
I was in high school. I had to take an elective. I had taken all the other ones. I, you know, I took, I took PE or gym class like every single semester. And at some point they're like, you got to do something different. So I took a photography class and that was really the only one that I had taken. And Interesting. I borrowed, I didn't even have a camera. I borrowed one from a buddy. It was like someone's grandma's camera. And it, it was set up <laughs> well enough that I, I could capture. And when I was talking about um, that band in 17 that we grew up on in Phoenix, I started going to their shows with, with my camera and, and shooting their shows and using those photos as my class assignments. That's awesome. So, so how, how, how did it become a full-time career? Like, how did it get to that point? I just didn't stop. And I, I'm, I don't really take no for an answer very well. I'm very persistent. And uh, the quick end of this story is I actually got a job working at the newspaper, like selling newspaper subscriptions. Okay. So uh, after, after about a year, a year and a half of doing that, like I would get on the, the company intranet and you could find out like who does what and what department, you know, is on what floor and that sort of thing. So I asked my boss at the time, like, who's, who's the photo editor? And they're like, well, you just go on this thing and, and you can find out. So I just sent the guy a message and I was like, Hey, I work on the fifth floor. Like, can I just come by and show you my stuff? And I blew me off like three times and eventually realized I wasn't going to take no. And so he met up with me and he was like, look, he goes, and this was like, this was quite a while ago. So things have only gotten worse is what I'm getting at. But it used to be like, if, if there was a photographer that either retired or died, they didn't replace them because the print media world was so sparse at that point. And it was, it was, everything was headed to, to online. Sure. And so uh, he was like, look, because I, I can't really do anything for you. He's like, if there is a time where we need somebody to shoot a concert and we don't have anybody like we might reach out. So eventually they did. And I, I shot, um, I shot an Aerosmith and Motley Crue show in like wow. 2007 or something. And that was like my first real assignment. And then it went from like one a week to two a week to at one point, you know, I was shooting four or five days a week and, and, and sort of really trying to figure out how to use my camera. Digital was still fairly new and uh, the technology with the cameras, uh, it, it wasn't anything like it is now. Like it's, it's come so far. Um, but in the beginning, like you had to really find ways of using your gear and like pushing it as far as you can to, uh, you know, to get good images. And like, since I didn't work for the newspaper in that capacity, like I still just, I had my little Canon Rebel um, and a 50 millimeter lens that was like a hundred bucks. So I started with what everyone really should start with, um, especially for like the music stuff is uh, it just, it's, it's not always about the gear. The gear definitely helps, but you know, they just kept giving me more work. And then I started freelancing for them and uh, another publication in, in Phoenix and it just kind of grew. And then I started getting hired, you know, from, from other bands and uh, labels and management and it, I, I haven't stopped. That's amazing. That's such a grassroots story. And, and, it, and it's, it's, it's awesome in an, in an era and in an age where like everybody becomes internet famous for no reason. It's very refreshing to hear a story of somebody that like, like, like literally like, it's almost like th a throwback to the sunset strip bands, putting posters on all the poles. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? Like you, you, you put yourself out there until somebody said, Hey, okay, I'll give you a shot. The cockroach wins, man. That's, yeah. that's nice. You know, if you, want to do any, if you want to do anything, like just keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost yeah. impossible to get worse at it unless it's just not for you. That That's, that's one. Yeah, that's true. Right. Practice makes perfect. I, I hope <laughs> we, we could try. Right. Something. <laughs> no, I think, it, I think it's a great story. Um, you know, obviously, you know, you have a lot, you're, you have your hands in a lot of things. You're, you're in, you know, numerous bands. You're obviously in the photography. Going back to the music side of things, I, I'm curious, like, obviously, you know, you talked about your influences as far as bands, but like, who would you say, like, is your, your idol as far as vocal being a singer? Who would you say you model yourself after? Because you do have that great, you know, screaming vocals. And, you know, obviously that's the kind of music that I'm attracted to. So uh, I don't know if I necessarily have like one specific person that vocally I am similar to. I think that there's a few different elements of music I grew up with that you can hear. Um, but that's kind of for you guys to tell me. Like, I people's opinions are, are really none of my business in, in a lot of ways. It's, it's, uh, you know, if you ask me who my favorite singer of all time is, I would tell you Mike Patton from Faith No More and Mr. Bungle. And, Jay and I are huge Mike Patton fans. Right. But as a singer, you never compare yourself to Mike Patton. He's, he's the goat, man. He's, yeah. you know, you can't even say stuff like that out loud. Um, <laughs> and I, I don't like there, there's some stuff that he does that, that, um, that I, I try to do things that are similar here and there, but I'm I'm not the, the same type of singer he is. Um, so I don't know. You you guys tell me who you think it sounds like. That's if probably... I had to pick, if when I when Manson does the scream, I, I yeah. see some of that in there. Yeah. I also I also well I should say I hear it. Um, I hear a little bit of like um, what is it? Matt Tuck from Bullet for My Valentine. Really, I hear a little of that. Okay. Yeah, I mean. I, I, it's somewhere in there to me. Like, what do you think, Jay? Yeah, I was gonna say Marilyn Manson. Yeah, I, I definitely hear that when Mar I, when Manson goes full on with the scream. I definitely yeah. hear that, and, like, and it's probably with the industrial background, it, it adds to that, you know, um, texture. I guess. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing too. Is like, you know, Sean Bevan, who who produced this record for us. Like, he did Antichrist Superstar. He did yes. Cannibal Animals. Um, he did early Nine Inch Nails stuff, so um, I guess the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. But if I, I think that a band like like us or a, a singer like me, someone like Sean Bevan knows exactly what he's looking for in a vocal, and um, coming from kind of that background, uh, it was a pretty easy fit. Yeah, yeah. That, when when should everybody when give us the um the drop date for the new record? So I don't have the date for the record yet. The single okay. Fame More comes out next Friday. Uh, can't believe it's finally coming out. It's it's been it's been done for a while. I think that like the 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 amount of patience you have to have when you finish projects before they actually see the light of day makes me crazy. <laughs> uh, because there's a lot of people behind the scenes that are kind of steering the ship. Um. But I think six weeks after Fame Whore comes out, the next single is going to come out. 
And there could be one third single before we announce the record, but um, definitely there will be a release date for the full thing here probably in the next couple months. Awesome. We're looking forward to it. Me too. I, we talked about Manson. I, obviously, it's a huge influence. I want to ask, what is your favorite Manson album? Antichrist Superstar. Okay. Yeah. I'm in the minority here. My, I, I'm tossed between Mechanical Animals and Portrait of an American Family. Well, those really, those three are, those, yeah. those, those are those the three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually didn't like Mechanical Animals nearly as much when it came out as I do now, because I, I do think it was, it was ahead of its time. And I think that, um, and, and one of the things I always loved about Manson is he would completely change everything about the way the band sounded and looked in the beginning, like every record. A hundred percent. Yeah. And, and that's, agree. and that's clearly like, and, and I think if we really, if we really dissect the influences, I think we're all influenced by David Bowie, and Alice Cooper, you know, 100%. And, and mechanical animals really speaks, especially to the Bowie that, you know, that seventies yeah. glam, even yeah. the, even it was, um, what was it? Omega. And what was the band called? Oh goodness, I can't remember. Oh geez, me neither. But you get my point. It's like Ziggy Stardust yeah. and you know Ziggy and the, yeah. and the Spiders from Mars. Mars, yeah. It, it's like, and I I believe Billy Corgan was involved in the production on that record from Smashing Pumpkins, but I'm drawing a blank. But you know what? For I I love that record, but I always do go back to Portrait, like similar to what you said. Like I'm I'm an '80s guy. Like all the I like Skid Row, the Snap, then Guns and Roses, Metallica. But something about when Portrait of an American Family came out, it was it, scary. It was just so, like it was so, like nothing I'd ever heard. It was yeah. like the first time I heard Sabbath when I was like an eight year old. Right. You know, I, I can't explain the feeling. It was something about that record. And I mean, to this day, when I listen to Cake and Sodomy and Lunchbox, yeah, I don't know if there are two songs that get me more pumped than those two songs, and 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 have such controversial lyrics. Yeah. I mean, unbelievable, and the and it's so cool when you watch the lunchbox video. It's the most low budget video, but yet the most awesome video. It's like in a skating rink. In a skating rink, yeah. And it's probably the the least makeup Marilyn ever had on. He looks like a human. <laughs> yeah, that was really before the real transformation. Yeah, but, but like right. you said, they changed with each record. That was when they were like Marilyn Manson and the Spooky Kids, and yeah. by Mechanical Animals, they were pure seventies glam. Yeah, you know, in, in, a in, in a in a fairly short amount of time. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a, I'm a big ministry fan too. I, I'm so fascinated. I know you guys are talking about your band with the evolution, you know, especially on this next record with less of the sampling. But like, I always harken back. Like, it's to me the most shocking transformation of a band has got to be ministry. Like, if you go back to with sympathy in 1983, yeah, like you it's know, like, I mean, and I love it, but I love it. It's yeah. like it's the best Tears for Fears album that Tears for Fears never made. Sure, <laughs> the with sympathy album, and it's like within five years. You know they're doing, you know, Psalm sixty nine, and it's it's it it blows my mind. And then you look yeah. at Al Jorgensen today, it's like how did he go from there to there? I'm I, that fascinates me. Yeah, no, I'm I'm glad you did though. <laughs> <laughs> I am too, but I, I like all of it. But yeah, yeah, I I, I definitely see the influences. So, you know, it, it is sports and metal. I, I yeah. haven't had a chance to talk to Jay since his Eagles lost the Super Bowl. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, Jay. So I have to ask you, Jim, are you a sports fan at all? Yeah. So tell tell us a little bit about it. Like, what teams do you like? What's your favorite sport? So 
I'm really, really close with basketball, like NBA okay. and NFL. So okay. when you guys asked me to do this, it came at a really good time to be a Phoenix Suns basketball fan because we got a new sheriff in town. Absolutely. I'm jealous. <laughs> you should be. I don't know how you got Kevin Durant. <laughs> because he didn't want to go anywhere else, and Brooklyn has just been such a, a mess. Oh, and, yeah, a disaster. I mean, now James Harden's looking like he might have been onto something by getting out of there first. I know I know he's he's had a couple of quotes recently, like, look, I'm you see, I'm not the crazy one. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. That, that team that Brooklyn was so dysfunctional. And and it really might go down as one of the biggest like busts in in history for the NBA because they had so many stars. But that's the other thing is like as as we've seen with with the the idea specifically in the NBA with super teams, it doesn't always work because you still have to have chemistry. And if you don't if you don't play together, then it doesn't matter the individual talent. Like basketball is a team game. Sure. And and you have to have a deep bench. And I think that like the starters for on paper, all the starters for Brooklyn looked really good, but they had absolutely zero bench because they'd spent so much money on, on the starting five. Um, and then bringing in Ben Simmons, who, you know, I mean, Jason, Jason Jay's knows all, get into that. That all day. <laughs> yeah. So it's one of those situations where it just didn't work out and it, and it couldn't have been, and he'd bring in Steve Nash to be the coach for, for the first time in his entire career. And you're basically on a team that's completely not coachable at all. Oh, yeah. And Kyrie, one of those stars, didn't even play 80% uh, of the time. <laughs> it wasn't what like the stat, that? like the, the – wasn't there like 18 games total that uh, Harden, Durant, and Kyrie played at the same time? It was like I, something really – like less than 20 games. Something like that. It kind of reminds me of being a Mets fan and having DeGrom and Scherzer in the rotation. Yep. <laughs> they start two games. They, they went through the rotation twice. You get you get my point. <laughs> yeah. So we're waiting for the all-star break to finish so we can actually see Durant on the court. But um, we're excited. But there's there's a lot of pressure on the Suns now. The the, the microscope is uh, is definitely there. That magnifying glass after every game, it's, it's going to be, you know, big headlines. And – we're turning into like a legit NBA sports market. And I say that after, you know, we went to the finals two years ago, which was came out of nowhere. So it's like the next year when, when we lost last year in the playoffs, we were expecting to get back to the finals. But that, that first year that we got there against Milwaukee, nobody before the season started would have ever thought there was a chance that was going to happen. But the expectation is championship or bust now. And so people are going to, you know, Phoenix has a target on their back and, Considering he hasn't got to play one game yet because he's still hurt, but he's he's supposed to be coming back right after the All Star break. I'm very excited to uh, to to see my team sort of catapult in into uh, a, a new place. It's the biggest trade we've ever had. It's even bigger than Barkley. It's awesome. I know the microscope the microscope is on you, but that's a great feeling. That's a great yeah. feeling. It's better than being irrelevant. True, <laughs> you know. You know, and I and I I I'm I'm a baseball guy too. Rest in peace, Tim McCarver. Uh, just passed away the other day, and but his death kind of brought Arizona into the spotlight for another reason too, because uh, Tim McCarver had that great call in Game Seven of the 2001 World Series 
when Luis Gonzalez had the game-winning hit off yeah. Mariano Rivera, the walk-off. I don't know if you it's been making the rounds, but, wow, what a call. Tim McCarver, the two outs, bases loaded. I think it was a 3-2 count on Luis Gonzalez. And Tim McCarver says, you know, because the, the Yankees had brought the infield in, you know, the danger of playing the infield in is because Mariano Rivera throws these low and inside cutters. Left-handed hitters like Gonzalez get a lot of blue pits to the shallow outfield. On the very next pitch, he gets that exact yeah. hit. The Diamondbacks walk it off. So just that was a little Arizona tie in there. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that that team won the World Series that year, but then, you know, the payroll was so ridiculous because they went all in. Yeah. And that's that's the scary part, as you guys know, especially like a Philly market where that's a real sports market. Like you have to win if you have those sort of pieces and, and you know, luxury taxes and like – we just got a new owner for Phoenix right after the Sarver thing was a, ended in as, as a disaster. And the new owner immediately, like he was introduced and then the next day we the Durant trade happened. So that was really exciting to see. All right, so this guy's serious. So it's yeah. not like on the Arizona Cardinals side where we're like, you know, growing up as a Cardinals fan, like the Bidwell thing in the beginning when it when it was Papa Bidwell, he he was not looking to win. And then Michael Bidwell came out and kind of changed the culture of the team. And then, you know, we had our loss in the Super Bowl. And we got some things wrong. Um, and I don't know if we've got it right with Kyler Murray right now. Uh, I, I enjoyed, you know, the first couple of years and just seeing some progress. But, like, something is is not in sync. The coaching and it, there's some something was off. And I, and I don't think we're going to know if it was Cliff Kingsbury or if it was Kyler um, until we see Kyler play with the new coach sure. and he refuses to, to be under center because he can't throw the ball over the line because it's too short. Yeah. So he's got has been a big disappointment for me. No Eagles fans are laughing at Arizona right now because you just signed our defensive coordinator who gave up, who had a terrible game in the Super Bowl. So we're 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 actually laughing at Arizona for taking him off our hands. I don't uh, know if that's fair, Jay. Yeah, <laughs> he, he had a, great had a terrible game, and and he still got them to the Super Bowl. I mean, <laughs> I know that like as a Philly guy, you probably thought there was no way that Philadelphia was going to lose that game. But like Mahomes is a proven winner, and these guys who have had experience, they know how to win. Yeah, Jay, that's a bad take. I'm sorry. <laughs> You guys had 140 sacks. I don't necessarily. <laughs> I'm just saying Philly fans in general. That's yeah, not. Yeah, we know how that goes. <laughs> yeah. Hey, so let's, we're, I'm we're sorry. What's that, Jim? We're going to have to figure it out this year with the Cardinals and see what happens. But my expectations, I have found over time that if you don't expect anything from your teams, they do well. And if you expect them to go and win, they don't. So. Uh, Very true. We'll see what happens. Think- I've seen that way too much with my teams. I, I'm a Mets and Dolphins fan. My, my NFL team's Miami Dolphins. Okay. Yeah. So I, I've been through a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I have a commenter here. Uh, we're back to the music a little bit. Jim, what is your go to song that you have to play at each show? Uh, I guess it would probably be currently in Violence We Trust. Okay. But we're playing in Vegas tomorrow uh, for the first time in quite a while. And we're going to play a bunch of songs for the very first time. So I have a feeling that In Violence We Trust will probably always be in the set. But as far as like the newer material, like I, I feel like there's there's some new staples in there that will kind of make their way into the set. And when when people start to learn th- those songs, I, I think it might 
maybe put Vines We Trust, take take it out of, of being like the one and it'll just be part part of the set. But there's some stuff in there that I think people are going to be really excited to hear for the first time. That's you know, awesome. I think is, is pretty cool about your records. Like, so Farewell to Humanity is the sing. It's the first single on the first album. It was yeah. also the very first song that we ever worked on. Yeah. And then, well, then, and you did the opposite, though, with Generation of Failure. It's the last track on, on the second album. And is that's the middle track. <laughs> so I, I don't know if that was just, like, not a coincidence or if you guys actually did that, like, you know, for a reason. I think that the track listing for Generation of Failure, I, I think it was probably as simple of a conversation as Andy and I just, him sending me uh, what he thought the order should be, and I probably was like, "Sounds good." Yeah, <laughs> like, sometimes it's that simple, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, like, there's there's certain things um, when you're working with other people or collaborating, or whether it's the band or music videos or, or not as much photo stuff. That's more that's more of like you uh, doing most of the stuff by yourself and, and and things of that nature for the most part, but when you're working with other people you kind of pick and choose uh, your battles or whatever or like there's certain things like that don't mean as much to me as might mean to someone like andy so i'm like if you if you like that track order i'm i'm cool with it unless unless you've got some you know something out there in left field that i'm like no we should switch this but with that i think i think that he came up with that that track listing and i kind of rolled with it cool now, obviously, you're talking about there's going to be new songs in the set list. Leads to my yep. next question. Are you guys touring nationally? So the singles have to come out first. Because sure. it's the, the, the world of music is really weird uh, right now, especially for like a rock or a metal band. Like you have to you have to have stuff that people are super engaged with online before anyone's going to. Give, give you, you know, everything that you want or, or however you want to frame it. Like they want to see people's reactions. And so far with Famehor not even being out yet and seeing all the people who pre-saved it and and even doing press before the song has come out and and sort of uh, turning the a bunch of people onto the band that didn't know about it before. Because again, like when we first started the band, like Spotify and Apple Music were not the end all be all. Yeah. And in and, and, uh, and, and music. And now that is the only thing that people are interested in is looking at metrics, which it has nothing to do with art. So that's the hard part. And that's that that is so true. And that's why it's kind of become the preferred way to release music is to release a track at a time. People yep. don't have a very long, long attention, attention band, span. So what you're doing is you're basically building a record. Yeah, um, some that's bands it. never put out full records at all anymore. Yeah, that is it. You Jay know? and I were talking about it earlier today. That is it. And nope. the ones that do it are are like the established bands, like the Legacy Acts or people sure. who, yeah, you know, Metallica is never going to put out a a, a a single, and that's going to be it. Most but you know what? Even Metallica has gone to that format. Granted, you're right; they're going to put the record out, but they've yeah. gone to that same format where. You know, the first single drops six months before the album release, and then yeah. a month later, another one, and each one has a video. It, yep. It's just a different world, and, and that saddens me. That's one thing that really saddens me, because you know, the three of us—I'm assuming all of us—grew up in that generation where what we did was we'd buy an album at the record store, 
and it wasn't just about a particular song. It was about the whole experience from the album cover to the inside artwork to the liner notes and then reading the lyrics to each song and listening to the yeah. whole album from front to back. It was like it was like going to the movies, right? You sat by your record player or your CD player, whatever it might have been, and you you indulged yourself into a record, you know? And I did that even even into the into into the 90s. I mean, Mechanical Animals, again, that, that record comes to mind as one of the records I did that with because it was like a journey, like the, it, it was a concept album. You know, that that's lost in today's music, and I find that to be a, a real shame. What are your thoughts on that? So I think about I, – I was actually thinking about this a couple of days ago because, again, like we're still somewhat adapting to what's going on now. So when you were kids or like when I was a kid – Going to a concert, for example, like you didn't know what the set list was going to be. You didn't have YouTube to go see like what the production looked like. And it was basically like a meeting place for a bunch of like minded people yep. who cared about whatever band it was that much that they wanted to be around other people that cared as much as they do. Now, yep. now you don't have to go to the show to see it, essentially. Um you don't have to buy the record. You, If you have a streaming service, you're paying like 10 bucks a month and it's basically on demand anytime you want it. And it's basically taken a lot of the experience out of the music process and, and, and the fan experience is 100% different than it was when we were buying records when we were kids. So it's just, there's, everything's really accessible. Um, whether it's, you know, music, film, art, it's, we're surrounded by it. So it's very oversaturated. So you have to really find people who really love something that are still willing to, you know, go to shows or vinyl's huge again, which is great. Um, other than the fact that it takes eight months to get back if you put an order in like as a band, like the, the plants are so backed up. Yeah. Uh, that part of it's really frustrating, but there are people and, and I buy vinyl, but, I will typically buy two copies of something because I want to keep one sealed and then I'll have the other one I'll play. Um, but yeah, I, I just, it's, it's just a different world and um, being in the photo side of things and in, in the music video side of things, like those are different elements that are part of, of that record or that experience or the presentation that, that the fans are getting being a part of, of those other artists stories um, is really cool too, because essentially so much of what I loved about, you know, whether it was going to, to the grocery store to pick up the, the magazine or, or MTV was basically my babysitter. You know, I would sit there for hours and just watch the same Another, videos over again. Nailed it. <laughs> and, and so now I'm doing those things for other artists and playing music at the same time. So, um, I think one of you asked, you know, to, to answer your question, they're all very important to me in a different way. If I just wanted to do one, it would clearly just be in a band. I, I would rather have that experience. But my job is the second best thing I could ever hope to do. So being able to do all of them at the same time is uh, something I'm I'm learning now how to juggle like in real time like i'm in seattle i've been here for 
four days working on a video and I'm getting, I have to get up at four o'clock in the morning and go to the airport, have one rehearsal the day of the show and then play tomorrow night and then go back home to start another project with another band. That's amazing. And we've come full circle. Yeah. I asked you that kind of in the opening and wow, what a way to like maybe end the show. I mean, you just came full circle with it. Yeah. You know, and you've done magazine covers, you know, Kerrang. Yeah. You're living the dream, man. <laughs> and and I'm excited for you. And I, I'm really pumped for the new record. I know Jay is. Um, listen, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know what else to say. We're so glad you joined us. You have anything to add, Jay? No, like I said, I, I, I'm excited about the new track. Um, I'm assuming it'll be heavy because that's your guys. That's heavy. <laughs> so yeah. we're, we're super heavy, pumped, man. Groove. You'll, you'll be able to remember it. Um, you know, there's a lot of fame whores in the world. So <laughs> this is think, true. You know, th this one's for them. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Wait till, you see the video. Wait, wait till you see the video. It's cannot uh, wait. Cannot wait. So again, what was the date on that? The drop for the new single next Friday, next Friday. Awesome. Yep. So fame whore. Check it out, guys. There is no us. Uh, Jim, I know we want to thank you for coming on the show. Everybody, this is Jim Louveau. Jim, tell the audience where they can find you. Uh, socials, like, I actually have a website, just Laveau.com, L-O-U-V-A-U.com. Uh, Instagram, there is no us band. Uh, Jim Laveau. I'm, I'm, I'm not hard to find. Awesome. So listen, check him out. Check out There Is No Us. New album coming out. Thank you for joining us, Jim. We you had a great it. time. We had a blast. Awesome. We're super excited for the new record. And as always, guys, this is Aaron Savage and Jason Voorhees signing off. Rock on. Go Suns. Peace out. <laughs> Later, boys. Later, guy. Thanks, Jim. Yep. <laughs>